Let us pray together. Father, as we come together now around your word, Father, may you speak to us. We long to hear from you, Lord. We long to hear the truths that really will make a difference in our lives, that will set us on a path of righteousness and intimacy with you. Father, we pray that you would remove all distractions. That, Father, you would remove the things that the flesh, the world, and Satan would put into our heart and mind to distract us and to consume us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the things that has really impressed me since I came to Singapore almost six years ago has been the great emphasis and love and passion that the Singaporeans have for good health. It's amazing when they show pictures of these marathons and there's just scores of people, just throngs of people who are participating in these uh, great marathons and great events. And, and there's all kinds of these things going on quite often. Uh, everybody wants to live lives that are happier, healthier, and more hearty. And so everybody will go all out to make that happen. And so one of those things that we have to be part of this effort, right, is what we breathe, what we drink, and what we eat, right? And so we want to make sure that we're healthy, and so we want to make sure that what goes in is healthy. And so I'm reminded that um, whenever I go out to lunch or having, meeting somebody over a meal, my wife will always say, now be careful what you eat. Be careful what you eat, you know. And, and uh, you know, she says that. I can almost hear that even when she doesn't say it. And uh, so that got me thinking, you know, at this time of year, right, I have to be careful of how many mooncakes I eat, right? Especially those ones with the big yolk in them, you know, and, and all that. I got to be careful. I got to be careful about how much pork belly I take in, right? Because, you know, that big layer of fat, you know, that's on the top there. And I'm making you hungry, aren't I? Yeah, okay. And I have to be careful about how much roast pork I'm going to take, you know, because, you know, we all want that special piece with just a little bit of meat, a little bit of fat, and that crispy skin, you know, on the top, you know. Just, you know, <sighs> you know, but once it goes in, it can't come out, you know. You got you to gotta take it all the way down. And so this affects our health. It affects especially our heart, so the doctors say. And so we put great emphasis on being careful about what we take in because we want our hearts to be healthy, Right? So we put great emphasis on that, great thought into that. And so when you think about it, we do uh, are concerned about our physical heart, okay? Now let me ask you a question. Do we put as much effort and thought into having a spirit, healthy spiritual heart? You know, is that of any concern to us at all? You know, what condition should our heart be in, our spiritual heart? You see, and sometimes we don't think about that because we're so much thinking about, you know, all this other stuff, the physical. And so Jesus puts the emphasis back on the heart and he helps us to decipher what it is to have a spiritual heart and why it's important to have one. And so we're going through on the Sermon on the Mount and here Jesus reaches the point in his sermon where he addresses the heart. He addresses the heart. So what does he say about the heart? Okay. Now, I look out here and I see some that have just returning back and others who are with us for the first time. And so uh, we might need to ask ourselves, where have we been and where are we going today? And so uh, when you go to the Sermon on the Mount, what you realize very quickly is that Christ is emphasizing what we should be over what we should do. 
So rather than giving us a laundry list, giving us not just 10 commandments, maybe 25 commandments or something like that, he goes about and he says, look, I want you to address these issues about your heart and about your character, okay, especially. So this happens in verses 3 through 12 of Matthew chapter 5. And so basically what he says is that he prefaces all his remarks by saying, blessed, blessed are those who... And then he starts there with uh, those who have overcome their pride. He says, he starts with blessed are those or happy are those who sorrow over personal sin. He starts by saying that happy and blessed are those who have courage and convictions, but they're all under control. And then he says that happy are those who have possess a passion for God's righteousness. And then as last week showed, he says, blessed are those who are merciful. All of these things address the character and the personality of the person, okay? And so he wants us to get off to a good start. And please understand that when Jesus speaks to us, it's always being precedes doing, okay? The doing part for us sometimes is really easy. We can follow a menu of of things to do and get away with it. But then the matter is really of the heart. It's a matter of the character. And so Jesus addresses all of that in these Beatitudes. So let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Let's see what he has in store for us today. And he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, there's several things that we ought to pay attention to. And the first is, what did Christ mean by pure in verse 8? What did he mean by the word pure? The word pure, the Greek kathari, actually means to be clean from dirt, filth, and from any contamination, all right? That's what he means by pure. It was used to describe clean clothing. It was used to describe grain without chaff. It was used to describe wine that was unmixed with water. It spoke of metals that were free of impurities, okay? So you get the picture immediately, what Jesus is referring to. He says, the pure in heart, the heart that does not, is not contaminated, is not polluted, Okay, and so you get that feeling, you get that meaning right off the bat. But then the question comes is, how pure does God want us to be? Now, that's interesting, right? Because what happens is, uh, I started thinking about that, you know, how pure is pure? You know, you go to the grocery store and you look at the, the bottle and it says, you know, uh, uh, you know, 90% pure. You see something that says 50 cent pure, 50% pure. You see something that says 10% pure. How pure is pure? So I I was thinking about that a little longer, and I asked myself, how pure does water have to be before you drink it? How pure does water have to be? If I handed you a bottle and it said only 10% pure, how many of you would drink it? Not too many of you, right? And then if I handed you another bottle and it said 50% pure, some of you sit out there, well, it depends how thirsty I am. Here, maybe I'll do that. And then some people said, no, if I hand you a bottle of 90% pure water. Some of them say, well, I'm 90%, I can live with 90%. Yeah, I can, I can live with 90%, you know, something like that. Well, let me extend the question in further. How pure does the water have to be before you let your children drink it? You see, you can probably take in a little more tolerant, but what, how pure does it be for your children, you see? No, the idea is you want something as pure, as, cl- as close to 100% pure as possible, right? And... God is the same way. 
When he says pure in heart, he's not saying to you, walk in with a 50% pure heart or 80% pure heart. He says, no, as close to 100% as possible. Well, how do you know that? Well, if you turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we see this very clearly as he he, uh, instructs the believers there. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 through 16, he, he says, but like, be, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. How holy is God? Is it 90%? Is it 80%? No, it's 100%. You see? So we, when he says, be pure in heart, he means to be as close to 100% as possible, okay? So we get this, uh, address this issue. But we have to go further because the scripture actually reveals the roots of the pollutants and contaminations to our heart. And this may be new to some of you, but it's, it's, it's uh, something that's quite clear in Scripture. First John chapter 2, verse 16. What is the root of the pollution that can happen in our heart? If you look at First John chapter 2, verse 16, it says this. It says that for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so those three things he singles out. And it's, it's, a, it's pretty amazing. But if you trace back a lot of the stuff, the evil stuff that goes on in our heart, where does it come from? It comes from the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. A lot of it comes from there. That's the root of it. And so what is the result of all this? What kind of uh, symptoms or what kind of manifestations are these? If you look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Now, there's many passages, but I just want to read one to you. And he's describing what the, new, the old self with the new self. And he says this, Therefore, consider your members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. You see? And so if we're sitting out there today, and, and, and I'm standing up here today, what we are saying to you is that when he says pure, and when he says pure, he's talking about these kinds of things that may be running around in our lives. And so we are to be pure. We are to be clean of these things. But then Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, goes a little bit further. He says, pure in, in heart. What does in heart mean? What is in heart? Well, all of us, it's pretty obvious that God has a high view of the heart. Okay? He doesn't see it as just a mere pumping organ. Okay? But he sees it as spiritually a, a very special place. He sees it as a very special depository of what? Okay? Well, if, I look, if you look in Scripture, and I, and I read a bunch of different authors, and they say things so much better than I can. So, for example, some of the authors would say this, the heart is the vault where a person's will, thoughts, and emotions are kept. It's the heart. What's another description of the heart? The heart is where a person's true personality and character resides. Okay? You got those two points? 
Okay? It's where the will, the emotions, and the thoughts are. It's also where the person's personality and character is. Now, you know, people in general have a general idea about this, right? Have you ever heard anybody say to, about another person, that person has a good heart. That person has a good heart. Now, what do they mean by that? That means that person's will, thoughts, and emotions are very positive, are very good. Their character, their personality is very good. You see? So we have an idea of what the heart is. So Jesus says, those who are pure in heart, where they're pure in their character, in their personality, in their thoughts, in their emotions, so on and so forth. You see? That's what Jesus is saying. Now, I was trying to think about this, and I said, how can I say this in a way that, you know, uh, some, of, uh, some of the young people might get it. And so I came up with this, okay? Be that as it may, this is an effort, okay? Your heart is the hard drive where your, where your personal operating system operates from, okay? It's your personal operating system. See, people sit there and they say to themselves, where, uh, why am I the way I am? Why do I think the way I do? What, you know, so on and so forth. It's out of your heart, man. It's out of your heart. It's stored in there. It operates out of there, you see. And so that's where it comes from. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7 says this, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As he thinks his heart. The scripture got it right. Okay, of course it does. It's God that's speaking. Okay? For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. The man's heart. Well, what is, from God's point of view, when he sees man and he sees his heart, what does he see? Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And desperately wicked. Okay? It doesn't mean that it has no good in it. It just says that if you sum total the whole thing, then you see that man's heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Matthew chapter 15, verses 19 to 20. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things that defile the man, it says. So from God's point of view, as he looks upon man and he looks upon our hearts, he says, wow, what a mess. (laughs) Things are pretty polluted in there. They're pretty contaminated in there. This is what he sees. But God is not content with just leaving our hearts in that awful condition. And that's where the gospel comes in. This is where Jesus Christ comes in to save our lives. And he changes our lives. First, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And that comes also means a clean heart. It comes a heart that's been cleansed and been made right, cleaned of all these pollutants and contaminants. That's what's possible. So, when Christ says, blessed are the pure in heart, he is saying, truly happy are those whose motives, thoughts, and feelings are uncontaminated. By who? By whose standards? By God's standard. It's where the pure heart is where the motivation, thoughts, and feelings are the same as that of God's heart, expressed through his holy word. Christ is teaching us that we ought to have pure hearts. The pure heart then becomes the key to having, to being, having this happiness that he's talking about. So, 
So far, you've tracked with this and you said, okay, now I understand what pure is. I understand what pure of heart in heart means. And then, so there's significant meaning to all of that. But we're not finished because we have to go further. It says, because we have to ask ourselves, what are the rewards for being pure in heart? Is there, what's the benefit? What, what, what's the blessing that can come from it? Well, if you go back to that verse, you'll find two. You'll find two of them. Okay, the first one is, is embodied in that word blessed. The first reward is true happiness. Remember, we started out by saying blessed is a term that means happy or fortunate. It has a sense of inward contentment and peace that comes no matter what the outward circumstances may be. You see, most of us, our happiness, our contentment is based upon our circumstances. So if I get a, if I get a raise from my boss, if I get a good evaluation, if I get a great bonus at the end of the year, whoa, I'm happy. <laughs> That's all I want. That's all I need. If I'm a student, if I get an A on a paper I wrote, if I get a high acceptance, if I get an acceptance at a university that I want to get into, hey, I'm happy, man. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be happy. That's good. But see, that's dependent upon circumstances. But what he says here is that we have a contentment that is not based on circumstances. Maybe no circumstances at all. Let me give you an example. I've shared with you about my brother who has cancer, and, and um, I talked to him this week, and he, he's getting a little weaker. So continue to pray for him. But amazingly, uncharacteristic of him, is there is a sense of peace and contentment. I'm a pharmacist. I don't think it's drugs because I know what drugs can do to you. This is not drug-induced peace or happiness. This is a happiness that comes from somewhere else. And talking with him, I believe that comes when he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior, for a starter. And then as he just began to just rely upon God more and more, he has this peace. Yeah, he has his bad days and good days, but it's not controlled by his outward circumstances. So when he, gets a, he goes to the doctor and he gets bad news, you know, he's kind of even about it. Okay, let's move on. And he, he gets good news. Okay, great, let's move on. You see? And this is so uncharacteristic of the Wong family, <laughs> you know? And yet it's there, and I'm seeing it right before my eyes. You see, this is the kind of blessedness. This is the kind of happiness that God wants us to have, not dependent on outward circumstances, maybe even in spite of them. If we have a pure heart, it's possible that we could have a good day every day. You see, and sometimes we don't think about that. We don't think about it. Why? Because we're so focused on the circumstances. You see? But the reward for a pure heart is having this sense of contentment and peace despite circumstances. The second reward is a little bit more mesmerizing. It's contained in that phrase, they shall see God. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean all of a sudden we'll start hearing music with no visible source? Does it mean we're suddenly going to be seeing bright lights and be blinded by all kinds of things and we're going to see God? You know, what does that mean? The key is what does the word see 
mean. And the word see that is used here speaks of to know God, to know in an intimate and close way. You see? And so what this means is drawing up close to God, having closer communion with him. Now, how is this possible? He says, with a pure heart will help us draw closer to God. If you look at Psalms 24, verses 3 to 4, how may, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? Who has clean hands? Who, who's the person who can do this? He who has clean hands and a what? Pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. You see, when we have that pure heart, we're able to come into the presence of the Lord. We're able to draw closer to him, you see. The opposite is also true. The impure heart separates us from God. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear, he says. Get the message? The message is that the impure heart separates us from God, but the pure heart draws us closer to him. In many respects, many of us crave for this. We want to be close to God. And we can't figure out why we can't. It's because of our sin. It's because of the impurities in our heart that keep us apart from God. Now, all of this, you put it together. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Okay? They will be the ones who will be able to experience God in a deep and intimate way. That gives us a challenge then, doesn't it? And the challenges I see are many, but this is the ones that I feel that would be important for us this morning. The first one is that to those persons who have not yet received Christ as their Savior, they are in jeopardy. They're in jeopardy. There is really, they have a big obstacle between them and God. Now let's see how this unfolds. So for the person who has not accepted Christ as their Savior and Lord... They must settle the question once and for all of who Christ is and what he means to them. All right? I mean, there are many, many different views of who Christ is, right? There would people say, hey, nice guy. You know, he healed the sick and he fed the, the hungry. He did this and he did that. Nice guy. You know, five stars, you know. But he's much more than that. Christ is special and unique, If you look at John chapter 14, verse 6, Christ put it this way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Oh, yeah, but he said that of himself. Now, it would be one thing if he just said it, but had nothing to back it up. But the fact that he healed the sick, the fact that he fed the hungry, and all of the miracles that he did, and all of that kind of stuff says, hey, This guy's got a point. This guy really has a point here, you know? And so when he says this, he means it. He's special and unique. Christ was on a special mission to save you and I. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
Jesus Christ did not come to get a following. He did not come to the face of this earth to become famous and rich and all of this kind of stuff. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, that which had departed, had been separated from God. And that's you and me. That's humanity. Okay? What else? Christ is the one who saves you by dying on the cross for you. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did what no one else would want to do and could do. He took the penalty of sin upon himself on the cross, you see. So all of this talk, who's Jesus, who's Jesus, who's Jesus, you know? What did he do? Why, why is it so important I pay attention to what he did? That's a big question. And it's one that you and I have to settle once and for all. Is he really our Savior and is he our Lord? Now, the result of his dying on the cross, of course, is that there was forgiveness of sin. God could forgive our sins. Acts chapter 10, verse 43. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Remember, we talked about that big boulder, that big obstacle between us and God. That big obstacle is sin, right? Because what? Sin separates, okay? Whereas purity removes that and allows us to come to God, all right? There is now forgiveness of sin. The result of this is eternal life. John 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Wow. Wow. So this Jesus that I thought was just a five-star guy really is much more than that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he bears our attention and he bears our consideration and he bears us to, to receive him as, his, as our Savior and Lord. But one more thing. Christ's work sets you and I on a course to live a life of purity. Life of purity. Titus chapter 2, verses 13 to 14. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify himself for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And he somehow, some way, many times Christians have a way of allowing impurity in our lives. And we excuse it by just saying, well, everybody's like that. Nobody's perfect. You know, that's how we do it. We rationalize that. But do we understand that Christ's work on the cross actually sets us on a path for living a life of purity? Whoa. Now, that, 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 Pastor, that's a, different, that's a whole different story here. Uh, that, that, that can really set my life on a totally different course. Right. That's right. You got it. You see? So all of this comes together, but you have to settle the question. Who is Jesus Christ and what has he done for me? And what am I going to allow him to do for me? So that's one of the challenges that faces us. But there's also an individual challenge for those of us who are believers already, for those who have committed our life to Jesus Christ and receive him as our Savior and Lord. And I call this great challenge the Titanic Temptations. Now, 
people say, Pastor, you have a gift of the, of the absurd. <laughs> Why would you use the word Titanic? Because, my friend, every, ta- every temptation is a Titanic. It really is. It's challenging. And you'll see some of us will be sitting out there and says, well, I have challenges in my life. I have temptations in my life. But it's a tiny one. It's a tiny one, you know. Another person sits out here and says, oh, man, Pastor, I've got temptations that you just wouldn't understand. I mean, they are so big. They are so huge. My friend, every temptation is titanic. It's huge. It's huge. And as they come facing us in our lives, we have to face that challenge. For example, the world in general and culture specifically tempt us through the lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Listen to what James says in chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed By his own lust. Then when lust has conceived. It gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished. It brings forth death. You see. How are we going to keep our hearts pure? How are we going to overcome. The temptations that come into our lives. Which are so real. Let me give you some example. Of how real this is. In my course of, dealing, of, of, of trying to help people, pray with people, encourage people in their spiritual walk with the Lord, one of the greatest and most horrific challenges that have come on the scene is the impact of media and specifically the Internet. That thing, while it does a lot of good, that thing has opened up the gates of hell, really. It's unbelievable what is on the Internet and what is available. And person after person after person I, I talk with, it's, um, they, are just being, they are just being overcome by it, like a tsunami. <laughs> it just whoosh, you know. They're giving in to these, these temptations that come as a result of it. This, these, uh, the, the, the impact of media and internet can result in a spiritual heart attack which can be fatal to one's spiritual life and relationship to God. Now, in the midst of all this, what does God present? He presents three things. He gives us God's spirit to dwell within us. He gives us his word to guide us and to make things clear. And then he gives us God's people. He gives us God's people. Now, I know some of you are sitting out there and you're saying, hmm, ha, huh. You know, God's people, I don't have too much use for those people, you know, this kind of thing because of the experiences and so on and so forth. But it's meant, it was God's design that God's people would be a great help to one another. This is why a community of committed believers in Christ is so important. Friendships, accountability groups, care groups, Bible study groups, fellowship groups are so important because when they come together, they are meant to encourage us and to exhort us to go on with the be, to, to be what God wants us to be. You know, I really perish the thought of all the years that I've walked with the Lord or strove to walk with the Lord. And I've gone through all these, all these temptations and I still go through these temptations. 
And it's so wonderful that I have people that I can commune with and people who care about me and people who are not in it for what they can get out of it, but what they can put into it. And they say, I'll come alongside you. I'll come alongside you and help you. Amazing. Amazing. So, this is what God has given to us. He's given us his word. So stay in God's word. Psalms 119, 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping according to your word. With all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word and I, I, have, I, I have treasured in my heart and I may not sin against you. Submit to the Holy Spirit's control, Galatians chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, he says. Whoa. Have you ever wondered why when you're getting into something, you're being tempted, and suddenly there's this little voice that comes into your head and says, ah, 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 ah. You ought not to be doing that. Very well be the Spirit of God speaking to you, telling you to avoid something. And then seek the Lord continuously, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Pray at all times on every occasion in the power of the Holy Spirit. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all Christians everywhere, it says. Wow. Wow. That puts a whole different spin on the whole importance of you and I in the body of, the, of Christ and what we can be doing for one another and what we can gain from it, you see? got to fight off these titanic temptations that come our way but the challenge is to settle that question of who christ is to you stay in god's word submit to god's spirit and seek the lord continuously a pure heart brings us true happiness and into closer communion with god that's clear from what (laughs) matthew chapter 5 verse 8 there's no fancy footwork here. There's no fancy theological footwork. And I'm, I'm, I'm not taking you out into the woods and, and, and ha- get, letting you get lost. Jesus didn't do that. He just said it right then and there. The battle for a healthy physical heart is won by those who know what to do and who do it. <laughs> right? I think we'd all agree. What about a, spiritual, a healthy spiritual heart? The battle for a healthy, spiritual, pure heart is won by those who want to be pure in heart and pursue it. Now the question is, who are you? Who are you? Let's pray. Father, we long for being intimate with you. Who wouldn't want to be intimate and close to the creator of the universe, to the Lord of lords and king of kings. And yet, Father, our sin separates us, but a pure heart draws us closer together. Father, help us to decide today who we are, how healthy a spiritual heart do we want to have. In Jesus' name, amen.